Um, I do want to welcome you, all of you, on this eighth anniversary of Madison Church. My name is Stephen Feith, and I am the founding pastor of Madison Church. How many of you are new to Madison? Like, you didn't live here growing up. This is like, you you transplanted, right? Okay. Yeah, most of you in the room, most of you in the room transplanted. Me too. In 2014, I moved here in March. I didn't know anybody, but we we're going to start a church. And that was what we just felt like God had called us to do that. And I thrown up on Facebook. I was like, hey, I just moved to Madison. I don't know anyone. If you know someone in Madison, we're trying to start a church. You know, let me know who you know. And that's how we that's how I literally met. The first person I ever met in Madison was that a pastor in Milwaukee said, Hey, there's a student, goes to the UW Madison. They just moved there. You should reach out to them. And I I did, and we met at Starbucks. And and this poor guy, he's one of my friends. I but at the time he he didn't know it, but I thought, man, this guy's gonna be our first member. He's going to be one of our first volunteers. He's going to be one of our first financial contributors. He's going to be my best friend. Like I had all of these visions for him that he didn't have for himself, of course, but he ended up being all of those things. And, and he ended up being the first person we ever baptized at our church. And, and so it's been like that. It's been one by one by one at a time, and it's been intentional. But that was not always how I envisioned it. That's just the truth. That's not how I envisioned it. Um, at all. There was this idea of what I thought planting a church would be like. You see, before I moved to Madison, um, and, and even after moving here, though, I coached church planters. I mean, I coached other church planters who were going into other cities, and they would have the questions, and they would call me, or we would go to these events, and I would coach a table of church planters. And they would go out, and we'd say, if you just did X, Y, and Z, and this was what we would coach, if you just do X, Y, and Z, and you do it like this, you're gonna ex- you can expect this amount, week one of people, because it was very quantitative. It was very, what's that number? Who's going to show up? What's the number? And we say, if you did all this homework, you'll have 200 people week one. But look, we know from experience that only half of them are going to return because, I mean, we're sorry to tell you that half the people aren't going to think you're very cool. So they're going to continue to church shop or whatever. But 100 will stick around. And then over the next 12 months, what you're going to do is you're going to slowly work your way back up to that first year's number, which is that 200. And, And then from there, it's just, let's see what God has for you. And so I came here and I was like, well, I know all the homework because I'm the one who's given it. And I've seen this work in other cities. And so it's going to work here. And we did all the homework. And on our opening day, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, we're just going to have hundreds of people here in this spiritually deprived city. We're going to show them Jesus. We're going to put them on mission. Like all these other smucks around the city. I would never say that to their faces. But like, you know, if they knew what I knew, they wouldn't be hurting or struggling. And uh, week one, we had 30 people. I was wildly crushed. I mean, just wildly crushed because half of them, one, were related to me and they came from out of state because uh, they were like, hey, Stephen's been you know, pouring his heart out for this for years, fundraising and putting a team together. And so that was kind of a bummer. Another bummer was that uh, we were at the Radisson and uh, that was like $1,000 a week just to meet there. And so that was a bummer uh, that we had 30 people there. Another bummer was that I told them to set up 200 chairs. I really expected 200 people to be there and 30. And if you think, uh, you know, you, you might, if you're depending on your church background, you might think this is awkward, you know, these chairs and, and a few people. Imagine there being another 170 chairs set up in this room and it's just us. Okay, that's what it was like that very first Sunday. I wanted to die. Um, I really did. <laughs> I really did. Um, I thought, I am the worst church planner in the world, and everybody I've coached should demand a refund, and they would be justified <laughs> completely. Um, so there was what I expected church planting to be, and then there was what it ended up being. And that actually made me begin to think about some of those posts. I'm not on TikTok, but some of you are, and you know that there are these what I thought versus what I got 
posts that tend to go viral, right? Somebody nod or shake their head. No, if this is, I think it's a thing. And so um, I'm wondering, have you ever posted one of those? What I thought, what I got? Any social media influencers? Nope, 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 nope. All right, well, I did some homework for you, okay? Here are some examples of what I thought versus what I got. You take a picture into the salon of the haircut you'd like, somewhere between theory and practice, it gets botched. Ladies, guys, be honest. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever gone in? You just go in the car and what do you do? You cry, right? The, the person's like, what do you think? And you're like, I love it. I love it. And you go into the car and you just cry. Yeah. None of you guys have had that good for you. Well, you know what? I haven't had to pay for a haircut in years, as you can tell. Um, so I relate more to this one. Your dog needs a haircut. And you have this mental image of what your dog will look like on the left here. And you're like, hey, but you know, we're going to go in. We're going we're gonna to pay the big bucks. We're going to pay 100, 150 bucks. And, and they're going to come out looking great. And instead, they come out looking like one of those animals on the commercials to prevent animal cruelty. Kind of a bummer. <laughs> Been there a lot. So um, lastly, our daughter will turn one here at the end of the year. And so we'll get her a smash cake. But I really hope it turns out better than this. We want an Elmo cake. And I don't know what you got there on the right side. I can't read that. It just looks like it's terrible, terrible. Now, what makes these posts funny is how relatable they are. Because whether it's a haircut or something you ordered online that you thought would look good on you and it just absolutely didn't look good on you or whatever it is, what makes it funny is that it's happened to all of us. And hopefully, at some point in your life, you can look back on some of these things, whether it's a bad haircut or your dog's bad haircut or whatever it is, you can look back and laugh. And if you can't laugh, at least you can look back and see where somebody else like me would laugh at your misfortune, right? What I thought versus what I got, they can be funny, but sometimes uh, they're serious, right? What I thought is serious, and then what I got is also serious. The job you thought you were going to get, the job you thought you were going to get with the company or the position, the pay, whatever it was, all of that that's encapsulated in this job that you thought, if I just get this job, everything's going to be great. And then reality sets in. Maybe that's weeks, maybe that's months, maybe that's years. The job I thought when I first applied versus the job I got, the difference there may not be funny to you. The relationship you thought you were getting versus the relationship that you thought or that you actually got. Okay. And I'm not saying throw your spouse out to dry, hang out to dry, throw your spouse out to dry here, hang your spouse out to dry. We don't throw our spouses, we hang them out to dry. But you've probably been in a relationship in the past with somebody that on that first date you thought, oh my gosh, this is the one. Only to find out eight months later, you think about all that wasted time and money. Perhaps I'm the only one who thought that or has felt that way, but the relationship you thought for and the relationship you got, the diagnosis you thought you were going to get. You hope that the doctor would have good news. You hope that this pill, this prescription would take care of whatever issue um, it was. And the diagnosis just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And nothing's happening. Okay. Now, the list goes on and on. That's not supposed to be um, just everything that could go wrong in your life. I'm sure you know in your own life, it's not a diagnosis, maybe. It's not a relationship. It's not the job. There's something else in your life where you thought it was going to be like this. And now it's a major point of pain for you because of the reality. It's a major point of pain or of anxiety or of depression or you just want to ignore it altogether. These are unmet expectations. We talk about those all the time, unmet expectations. And I bet, I would go out far out on a limb here to say that I bet your unmet expectations, whatever they may be, did not include a global pandemic. I'll just throw that in there, okay? I bet it didn't include all the political turmoil we've had the last four, six, eight years. But it didn't include a bunch of racial injustice that we see on TV all the time and on the news and in our news feeds. 
but it didn't include like this economic collapse or inflation that we have. I bet your lives were hard before any of the things I just mentioned. I bet you had unmet expectations and then you just kind of throw all of this on and it's like, gee, thanks world. But unmet expectations don't just happen to us physically and they don't just happen to us emotionally. Unmet expectations happen to us spiritually. They do. And and if you've been a believer, a follower of Jesus in the room for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you're new, you may not. Unmet expectations happen to us all the time. So for many of us, our expectations might look, look like Jesus at his baptism. In Luke 3, 21, we read, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. That's kind of what we imagine the spiritual experience being every weekend, every prayer moment, every time I open the Bible, the heavens are going to open up and God's going to just smile on me and declare his love for me and it's going to be awesome. And of course, that's not where it's going to end because you're realistic, right? You have realistic expectations. So then you think it's going to be like what happens in Jesus's life in Luke 4, 14. Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power, which he got at his baptism. And reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. You go from this one spiritual experience, I found Jesus, I'm baptized, God is tangible. Everyone around me, there's crowds, of course there are. And then as I leave, I go back to my hometown or I go back to my workplace or I go back to my neighborhood and what happens? I'm full of power. Nothing can stop me. I don't have anxiety anymore. The depression's gone. I can do anything. I might be able to walk on water, fire up the bathtub. Let's check that out. And of course, because I'm so spiritual and I love God and God loves me, that reputation is going to spread everywhere. My neighbors are going to know it. My coworkers are going to know it. Everywhere I go, people are going to have their lives changed by God through me. And then it doesn't happen, right? Has that happened to anybody? You got baptized and then all of a sudden, like you're still kind of feeling anointed, appointed, no one in the room. Don't raise your hand if you do. Uh, We could talk about that in a one-on-one. But when that doesn't happen, when that doesn't happen, the universal experience is panic. You're baptized, new to faith, energy, awesome. Every Sunday is great, but eventually it starts to wear off a little bit. And eventually what I think should happen, there's this big prayer that is so selfless that I'm praying to God for and it doesn't go answered. I go through this tough time and I'm praying, God, just get me through it. And it's not answered. We panic. You think I'm doing something wrong. Obviously I'm doing something wrong. Why wouldn't God answer my prayer? We think to ourselves, in other words, that I'm not living up to my potential. That's what the issue is. I'm not living up. I'm not doing enough. Or maybe perhaps I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. I'm not living up to my potential. And in our society, we hustle and we grind and we are driven. And despite that, we still feel stuck spiritually. And maybe you feel even burned out. I suspect that all of you have felt this way before. And perhaps you are there today. Unmet expectations don't just hurt your relationships with other people. Unmet expectations can harm your relationship with God. And unmet expectations, whether it's with your spouse, your kids, your friends, coworkers, your boss, whoever it may be, unmet expectations are usually the result of a misunderstanding, some sort of a miscommunication 
For example, when talking about Jesus's journey from baptism to when he's being celebrated and going around teaching, we might have the misunderstanding that that's like a, a normal spiritual journey. And we might miss the big chunk of verses that occur between his baptism and when he's teaching and being celebrated. One of the most important scenes in Jesus's life actually occurs between the high of baptism and the high of going around and teaching. And it's actually one of his lowest moments. And so if you want to follow along with me today, we're going to Luke 4. We have house Bibles around you. And of course, you can use your uh, smartphone if you prefer. This part will not be on the screens, but I will read it uh, to you. And again, you've got those house Bibles all around you. We're going to Luke chapter 4. This is after Jesus is baptized. We get a long list of the ancestors of Jesus. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all of that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus is fasting. He's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, to the middle of nowhere, so he can get in tune with God. He's focusing on God. So what's he do? He fasts. He quits eating. Why? So that every time he feels hungry, he knows. He'll focus back on God. Focus back on God. And then the devil comes up to him and says, hey, you're hungry, right? Physically, you have this need. Physically. And I know you're powerful. Why don't you just make some bread and eat? You got to take care of yourself physically here. Now, Jesus doesn't say he can't, right? Jesus doesn't say, oh, I can't. Or Jesus doesn't say, well, I don't know. I got to ask, I got to ask dad if I can do that. Jesus doesn't say that at all. But instead, he says the purpose of his fast is spiritual. He responds. Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. He tells the devil in this temptation while being tested, while he's hungry, while he physically wants something. Most of us skip a meal and we feel like we're dying. This guy's going on 40 days and he's in the midst of that journey in which the devil says, hey, just make some bread. You have a physical need, man. Now, you may not be hungry, but I bet you have feelings of frustration. I bet you have feelings of fatigue. I bet you have other feelings, and your enemy wants you to give up spiritually for the sake of your physical well-being. You might be going through something spiritually, intentionally, but your spiritual enemy comes up and says, you know what, don't worry about that. You can go ahead, do that. It's fine. Take care of yourself physically. That's so, and, and I'm not saying don't be healthy. I'm not saying that. But in our society in which we have prioritized physical health all the way up here, I think a lot of us sacrifice our spiritual health for our physical health. And we see Jesus at other times make a lot of food for people and heal people from being sick. I'm not saying physical health doesn't matter, but I'm saying check in our own lives. When we're going through something, we're talking about what we're going through in life. Am I sacrificing my spiritual health for what I feel physically, fatigue, anxiety, depression, what have you. We read in verse five, the devil continues. The devil took him up and revealed to him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you will just worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
the devil says to him, hey, I know that God has promised you everything at some point. You have to live in this life. By the way, Jesus, spoiler alert, the way you die isn't pretty. You're not going to want to do it. We know he doesn't want to do it. You're going to get tortured. You're going to get beaten. They're going to hang you on a cross. They're going to make fun of you. It's really bad. And I know God promised afterwards you'd be on the throne and yeah, yeah, yeah. The devil says to Jesus, why don't you just skip all that? I can give it to you now. I can give it to part of it to you now. I can't give you everything, but I can give you everything you see. The devil's lie in that situation is, why don't you just do what's easier? Yeah, there's the way, the right way to do this. There's the way God is leading you. But the devil says, there's this easier route. And no, the reward isn't what God has promised you, but the reward isn't bad. I can give you a pretty good one here. And Jesus says, no, only God do I worship. Jesus declines instant gratification for God's mission. And we read in verse nine, then the devil took him up to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, this is the devil quoting Psalm 91, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The devil resorts in this last temptation of Jesus to the oldest trick in the book, physically in the book, which is distorting God's word. Did God really say that? He says to Eve. And in this passage to Jesus, he says, hey, Jesus, I was reading in the Psalms. And the Psalms say that you should be able to jump off. I mean, if God's word is true, Jesus, just jump. And Jesus says God's word is true, but that's not the full story. You see, when we're going through a tough time, when we're feeling like our spiritual expectations aren't being met, we can believe in the lies that, well, there's this one verse, there's this one passage, there's this one idea, there's this one church that thinks this, this must be true. And Jesus's counter to that is that I know the scripture so well that you can't trip me up with them. And he counters. It's not that what the devil said wasn't true. It's in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. You can fact check me. But it's in this moment that Jesus says it's not the full story. And oftentimes in our lives, when our spiritual expectations aren't being met, we can get confused on what God is really trying to tell us. Now, Jesus goes through this whole experience and the devil leaves him alone forever, right? It doesn't. Let's just read real quick, verse 13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You see, by being a follower of Jesus, being on the mission of God, the devil's not going to leave you alone. He might leave you alone for a season, but the devil will come back at the next opportunity. And I believe that Satan hit Jesus hard at the beginning of his spiritual journey because strategically that made the most sense. Jesus was coming off a high, feeling great. And then he was led to the wilderness intentionally. God led him there. And it was in this moment in which Jesus says, I'm following Jesus, or I'm following God, I'm doing the right things, that Satan hits him. And I wonder if that's been true in your life, where you feel like you're following God, am I doing the right things? And then you're spiritually tested and you say, 
huh, I don't think I'm following God anymore. That's what your spiritual oppressor wants you to believe. If you've been following Jesus authentically, you might just be in the wilderness for the sake of spiritual refinement, which is God's investment on you. And this gets me to my main point, which is that living up to our potential is not biblical. It's not biblical. What's biblical is giving up to my potential. I'm not going to live up to my potential, but rather I'm going to give up to my potential. It's the difference between running hard and falling on my knees, spiritually speaking. In this little story, we observe that the devil gave Jesus three different moments to live up to his expectations of his spiritual journey. Jesus, you physically aren't doing great. You're hungry. Just eat. You can do it. Jesus, I know you're eventually going to get God's promise, but I'll give it to you now and you can skip the hard stuff. Jesus, didn't God say this? I mean, you've read the Bible, right? Jesus, back me up. Go ahead, test God. See if he's real. And again, remember, Jesus voluntarily following God walked into this wilderness. Jesus didn't do something wrong. Don't read the story as Jesus did something wrong and that's why the devil came at him. Rather, Jesus was doing something right. And that's why the devil came after him. So if you are in a season in which you're like, these are my spiritual expectations, but this is my spiritual reality, perhaps it's not that you're doing something wrong. That's possible. But what I want to suggest is that you're doing something right. That you're doing something right. You can follow God into some tough areas. And this is definitely counterintuitive to the American way. In our culture, which is all about hustle, grind, and drive, the American dream, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. When you work hard, you should get paid more. You should have more time off. You should have nicer things. But according to our faith, that's completely counterintuitive. We don't live up to it. It's about winning in our society and in the kingdom of God. Whenever we do hustle and grind and drive, it's not for our self-interest, but it's for God's will. And in that sense, in our society, that looks like and feels like losing. Author and pastor Andy Stanley observes, by kingdoms of this world standards, Jesus lost. By new covenant kingdom standards, kingdom of God standards, he won. We have to change our perspective on the tough times when what we thought we were going to get spiritually isn't what we got. We change our perspectives. We lean into God. We don't flee from God. And Jesus calls us to give up to our potential. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? If any of you is embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading, you know the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all of his splendor in the company of the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. Some who have taken their stand right here are going to see it happen, see it with their own eyes, the kingdom of God. In my own words, following Jesus isn't about living up to your potential. It's about giving up to your potential. And that's my call to our church community as we look ahead to the immediate future for our church and the mission that God has put us on here. And if we can do this, if we can give up to our potential, give up to our potential, we're, we're going to see over the next few years there's going to be more people finding their faith in Jesus. 
and more people being baptized at our church and experiencing healing and miracles that the world cannot offer them that only God can. We're going to see them getting involved in our community through groups and through teams. We're going to see them get connected and serve using their gifts. We're going to see them step up into leadership roles and have influence, not just in our church, but in our city and not just for themselves and their own platform, but for Christ. And when this happens, and as it begins to happen, we will open up more micro locations. You'll remember before the pandemic, we had one on the west side as well, and now we're, we're at this location. That's great. But as we reach more people and they get involved and Jesus changes their lives, we'll open up more micro locations. We'll begin to bring on additional support staff and pastors to help us go further and faster in our mission. I absolutely believe uh, in volunteer leadership. We have you know, a couple kids workers up, or a couple kids leaders who are doing the work of a children's pastor. But as we open up micro locations, it will make most sense for us to have support staff, actual pastors at a centralized location to equip and empower those volunteer leaders across the city of Madison serving in our Madison churches. And what will you get out of this? That might be your question, and that's okay to ask. But you will experience life and a spiritual connection to God that you didn't even know was possible. Because at some point, you got to quit just showing up. You got to quit just showing up and sitting down. Because at some point, that is the road that will lead you to being stuck spiritually. So let's give up to our potential. Let's give up our influence and share our faith, share God's mission, share God's love with our community. Let's give using our gifts. How has God empowered you? Your time is a resource, your gifts are a resource. And I think of all the volunteers who are here who could charge us to be here because they charge their companies that they work for Monday through Friday to do the same work they're doing here for free. But they do it because they love God and his mission. They give up their time and none of them, I don't think, regret it. We can give up our resources. There's no time like the present to join a team, to tell your coworker about your church community or to begin financially contributing to the mission of God through Madison Church. So think about that and act now. Act now. I had to change what I perceived as winning in church planting. When I first started, I thought it would be about the quantity of the crowd. That's what I thought would matter the most, the quantity of the crowd that I could draw. And what God showed me through that wasn't that I did anything wrong, but it was that it's not about the quantity of the crowd you can draw. It's about the quality of the community you can create. And at Madison Church, that is the priority is the quality of the community. Oftentimes, one of the things that we love about big churches when we visit bigger churches is that I can go in on week one and no one will know I'm there. You know what the thing people don't like about big churches? A year later, you can walk in and no one will know who you are. That thing that you love so much week one is the weakness a year later. But at our church, our focus, our vision, our mission, the thing that scares you week one will be the thing that makes you come back week two because you're known, because you're loved, because you're cared for, because somebody sees you. They don't just see you, but they care for you. Let's extend that gift to other people. Let's invite them to be part of that. And that is how we'll change the culture of Madison for Christ. Let's pray.